Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Ollie. I'm the pastor here for Youth and Young Adults, and uh, just a special welcome to you. Especially, I see some new faces. Uh, let me add my welcome to Tony and others. It's really good to see you guys here, and we hope that uh, you can connect with us and, and meet us. And uh, I just personally love to love to meet you. Come and say good day if I don't chase you down. Uh, I had a great um, family lunch today. We had Mexican. It was amazing. It's, it's Meg's birthday on Friday, so. Uh, Feel free to send her a message, uh, but we're celebrating lunch. Um, I'm a big fan of Mexican. About a couple of years ago, we were having Mexican with my extended family, and uh, we got this beautiful sourdough. Uh, and my little nephew, Timmy, who's about one at the time, he just loves bread. I don't know if any one, you know any one-year-olds, but they do seem to love bread. Uh, it's, I mean... Do we ever grow out of that? I know some people aren't a fan of bread. I'm a big fan of bread. Uh, but we're eating, uh, we're eating lunch. It's beautiful Mexican. And Timmy, without us noticing, kind of grabs this bread. And he starts pulling it apart and playing with it. He's only one. He starts to eat it. And he starts screaming. Ah! He's like crying. We're like, Timmy. And we realized the bread was actually jalapeno bread. <laughs> uh, and it was very spicy. And so we're like, Timmy, you know, give, give him some water, this kind of stuff. And then he looks down at the bread. He sees it again. And he goes back for it. Ah! He's like crying. He's like, Timmy, didn't you learn your lesson? But no, he, again, he goes back for it. And then at that point, we think, oh, maybe we're the bad parents. Um, but this is, uh, I remember seeing Timmy and just thinking, are you insane? What are you doing? And I imagine Paul reacting to this hypothetical question in a bit like the way Tony read it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? In other words, are you insane? Why would you go back to that? Why would you do that? How can we, Paul says, how can we still live in our sin? It doesn't make sense. It's insane. And this is what our new series is about starting tonight, answering the why of the insanity of sin. See, over the past few months, we've been coming back and forth uh, through the book of Romans, uh, Paul's letter that he writes. And really is what we've seen is this letter is about the gospel. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And then we see as he continues through chapter 1, the the wrath of God has come on the wickedness and ungodliness of men. And then people to think, yeah, absolutely, God's wrath on the pagans. But then chapter 2, Paul is like, Actually, not just the pagan, but the self-righteous Jew as well. Even our righteousness falls short of God's glory. And we see that climax in chapter 3 as he's like, all have fallen short. All are in need of God's grace. And that's where we see the means of salvation through justification by faith through the shedding of Jesus' blood. That's how we're saved. Not by our works, by what Jesus does. And so we see that as he continues through chapter 4. He goes back to the promises to Abraham and how, how by faith righteousness was credited to him and we're included in those promises. And then chapter 5 a few weeks ago, we saw the benefits of this justification, the benefits that we have access to God and the sufficiency of God's grace. I, I still love Damo's example of calling the prime minister and, and getting access. Damo, did they ever get back to you? Where are you? He still hasn't gone back. But thank the Lord that we have access to God even though we don't have access to our prime minister. Uh, awesome. 
This is our new standing before God, justified, forgiven, not guilty. That's our new position. But it leaves the question of what happens to our lives now. How are we meant to live? What do we do now? In light of our forgiveness, in light that our sins have been washed clean, how do we live now? Something I've struggled with as a Christian was feeling like I could never get over sin in my life. Asking myself, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going back to this? And I, I, I know it's sinful, but I just keep doing it. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I wonder, if, have you ever asked these questions? Can I overcome this sin? I speak to people all the time, Christians who, are, who know they're forgiven, but just feel in, just without, without any power to get over it. Can I be holy? Can I be holy? Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you just feel like you just can't get those thoughts out of your head. You just can't help but lust over those people. You just, that's just, I just can't overcome it. Maybe you're harboring unforgiveness or anger. You're struggling with drunkenness. Can I overcome my sin? And I think we answer this question in one of two ways. One is that we think it's impossible. I can't do this. I can't change. It's one way. Or the other way is we say, which kind of Paul alludes to in this hypothetical question, that you know, if we've got grace, then it doesn't matter if we sin. We just Sin is not serious. We don't care. It doesn't matter. We need a new perspective because both these answers are wrong. You see, sin is serious and we can overcome it. We're going to see in Romans. Romans 6, the insanity of sin for those in Christ and how freedom is available. This is where we're going over the next three weeks. Tonight we're going to see that sin doesn't make sense anymore. We've got a new identity. It's not who we are. Next week we're going to look at how sin doesn't have power over us anymore. We're not slaves to sin anymore. And the third week of this series we're going to see how sin doesn't define our future Anymore, as we look at the fruit of sanctification and the fruit of eternal life. That's where we're going through Romans 6. So have your Bibles open. I really encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab your phone out to an app or to Bible Gateway. I really want you to see these words as God speaks to us. I have it in front of you, and as you're finding that, let me just pray as we ask God to come and speak to us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your amazing love and this truth that we've been looking at in Romans that it's nothing of our own works, but purely of what you have done on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you would shed your blood that we might be forgiven, whole. As we thought about a few weeks ago, found in you, complete. Thank you that we have access to you now. We pray to you and you accept us. You love us through what Jesus has done. I just pray, Lord, as we come to your word, that you would continue to continue to speak to us. And I pray for those here tonight, and myself included, that you might speak truth to the lies of the enemy that tells us that uh, we can't change. And that sin is just who we are and we can't get over it. And also just pray for people here tonight who maybe 
think lightly of sin. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, you come and in your grace and in your love and your mercy, you would show us that sin leads to destruction and death. Uh, But Lord, your grace and your life and your law is good. We want to see that afresh tonight. So just pray, Lord, that you would speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So come with me if you don't have it there with you. I really mean it. Have it in front of you. Romans 6, uh, verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So a couple of questions. How is it that we have died to sin? And what does it mean that we're baptized into Jesus' death? What's going on there? Now, this is not talking about the possibility of sin, as if our temptation to sin has been deadened. Some people think that like our old self is dead and that we'll just never care for sin anymore. That's not what's going on here. Rather, it's talking about the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. Turn just a few verses later, Romans 6 verse 23. It's a famous verse worth memorizing. It says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. The free gift of God is eternal life, as we're going to see in a few weeks. But... Just come back to that. The wages of sin. Because of our sin, death is our penalty. The wages, you know, what we owe. Death is what is owed. <laughs> I don't mind a backing track. That's, that's <laughs> Just making sure you're listening. You see, when Jesus died on the cross... He did so as a substitute for us. The debt that we owed, he paid. He took the penalty we deserved upon ourselves. Effectively, our old self, deserving of death, has been attached to him on the cross and died with him. The wages of sin is death. He pays that wage. We participate with him. And it's symbolized through baptism. As we participate, as we go under the water, it's as if our, our self is dying being buried under the water. We're united with him in that death. That wage of sin is being paid. That death being paid on our behalf. And I just want to take a really quick sidebar. Paul here assumes that Christians do this. That they are baptised as part of their conversion. Baptism doesn't save you. I want to make that clear. He's just spent five chapters demonstrating that it's faith. But he does understand baptism as a participation in this Death, symbolizing the death of our old self and the resurrection of the new. So if you're not baptized and you put your faith in Jesus, my encouragement to you, do it. Do it. Get baptized. Talk to me or your community group leader. Uh, let's take up the next opportunity that comes our way. Let's, let's um, get baptized. End sidebar. But baptism is a beautiful image of our unity with Jesus in his death. Our debt has been paid for. That part of our old self, destined to die, goes under the waters and it's dealt with. And so Paul asks, he asks this question, why on earth would we dress ourselves up again in our corpses? Why would we return to the life of the dead self? That part of us no longer defines who we are. It's insane that we go back there. It's insane that we go there. 
What I've never understood uh, from Scripture is why on earth the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. The Israelites, if you know the history, had been slaves in, in Egypt for 400 years, treated horrendously. And in that, in that slavery had, 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 had sort of fallen separated from their God. They were outside the promised land. They were separated from God. And God, in his great compassion and his power, rescues the Israelites by his incredible divine strength. As the angel of death brings judgment upon Egypt, but he passes over the Israelites because the blood of the lamb had covered the doors. The Israelites had done nothing to deserve their redemption, but are freed. They're freed from their slavery, led into the promised land. And it takes about three minutes after all they've seen the Israelites turn around and say, nah, nah, I think I'll, uh, we liked it better in slavery. It was, it was better there. We should head back. And I feel like Moses would be like, are you insane? Do you not remember how bad slavery was? You are not a slave anymore. That's not who you are. It doesn't make sense. They'd been redeemed. God had redeemed them. He brought them through the Red Sea. You are not a slave anymore. I don't understand why they do that, but then I think, don't we too every day look back at our sin and think, actually, it's better there. We look back at our sin and think, no, you know, that's where I belong. You see, if you're following Jesus, is this the way that you are viewing your sin? Have we started and forgotten and started associating our identity with it. You see, your anger is not you. Your lust is not you. Your shame, your guilt, your jealousy is not you. The penalty has been paid. The penalty has been paid for. And so your sin does not define you. And because it's not you, he says, don't do it. Don't go back there. It doesn't make sense that we would go back there. You know, we often make the mistake of stopping here. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We stop at sins forgiven. And I was thinking about it. It's kind of like we, we treat the gospel like an eraser. We kind of just erase our sin. But the trouble is that then we sin again and again. And again, we kind of trip up and we think, like, my sin's been erased, but I kind of, does it need erasing again? As so we sort of struggle in this cycle. You see, Jesus is not like an eraser. Oh, absolutely, our sins are erased. But rather, what he offers is a whole new identity. A brand new identity. You are a new creation. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer He's a German theologian, talks about the difference between the justification of sin and justification of the sinner. If you take anything from tonight, the justification of sin and the justification of the sinner. You see, we're not just sins forgiven, but we're given a whole new identity. We're a whole new person. And so let's keep reading from verse 4 in, in Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that. Everyone say, in order that. 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, we're not just sins forgiven. There's actually a purpose with what Christ is doing. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Again, picture a baptism. As a person comes out of the water, like Jesus, resurrecting from the grave into a whole new life. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just clean up your past and then just put you back on your feet. He wants to give you a whole new identity, a whole new future, a whole new life. You see, therefore, sin doesn't make any sense because it just isn't who we are anymore. It doesn't fit the identity that he's given us. It's not compatible. Sin is not who we are anymore because we're a new person, a new creation. It's the insanity of sin. It's the lie of Satan and the lies of the world that we should still live in it. And this is where I say, I've said this a few times, it's, it's the difference in our attitude between I should not do this and this is not who I am. It's the difference between you know, sin, we know it's wrong, we know, but we keep going back to it. And often we just think, think, I shouldn't do it, I shouldn't do it, I shouldn't do it. But rather our heart is, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. How can we? Look at verse 6, Romans 6. It says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. See, we need this perspective of sin if we're going to remain in Jesus and if we're going to grow in him. It's this process of sanctification. It's a word meaning that we're becoming more like Jesus every day. Paul, he says, it's possible. It's possible to overcome sin. You are free from it. And I want to be clear at this point. We, we don't pursue holiness, life free from sin, because by it we're accepted by God. We are completely absolutely saved through our connection with what Jesus has done. That is, that is done. We saw that we have access to the Father. We have acceptance by the Father. And even though we sin, even though tomorrow you sin, your justification is solid. That's fixed. You are accepted by God. The wrath of God has been fully paid for and full in what Jesus has done. You see, Jesus is in the business of completing a work in you. He's not finished with us as he makes us more and more holy every day as we remain in him. And now up to this point in the chapter, uh, we haven't really specified or defined what sin is. So I want to take you to another one of Paul's letter to Colossians uh, chapter 3. And I want to take us away from theory and just actually start getting practical and specific. I've just talked about sin and sin and sin, but what is that? And let's actually get, let's get practical. So if you have it with you, uh, Colossians chapter 3, if you've got a physical Bible, um, I hope this is just dripping with highlighter because uh, there's so much richness to um, what Paul says about our new life. 
chapter 3, from verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. We've just talked about this. Our old self is dead. Our life is hidden in Christ. That's our unity with Him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore. Everyone say, therefore. Therefore. Again, we're talking about, we've been hidden in Christ, but what now? He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly, in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. I just want to stop there. I think this is the first of two main categories of sin that Paul confronts. And what we've just read, I've kind of summarized as unholy passions. So Paul's talked about put to death. The first thing he looks at is our unholy passions. So I want to pause and I want to ask the question, why is sex and sexual expression or desire so serious? Why is Paul like, this is a problem. We need to deal with it. I just want to take a moment and try and explore this question because I think it's really important. You see, God's vision and purpose for sexual expression and sexual desire is that it's good. But that it's for, and it's picturing, the covenantal promise, this union of a man and a woman in marriage. And so it's always in the context of faithfulness, always in the context of promise and of self-giving and selflessness. It's about connecting Two souls. It goes to our deepest self. And actually what sex is, is is almost like a sign of the covenant. Like baptism is a sign of the covenant of our union with Christ. Like the rainbow that God put in the sky. That was his promise, his way of saying, I will never flood the earth again. So too, what sex acts like in the context of marriage is almost like a symbol of this promise, of this union, of this connection. And Christ said, ultimately, this connection and this covenant and this promise is actually pointing to the relationship that we have with Christ and that that perfect acceptance and union and, and love. And you see, when we abuse these good desires for a selfish end and we separate these good desires for self, for, for just serving ourselves and being unfaithful, what we end up doing is we end up hurting ourselves and hurting others. And we distort God's vision of this. And I think the evidence of this hurt is everywhere. As we've taken sex and we've cheapened it, we've said it doesn't matter and we just want to explore our sexualities in whatever ways, in whatever context, because it's about your self-fulfillment. We suddenly distort that, we cheapen it. But it's kind of... Uh, inconsistency, because on the other hand, we have that attitude, but then we have the Me Too movement, which is exposing how damaging 
sexual abuse is. How deeply, deeply confronting and, and like it goes to our very souls. And so we say sex is, is cheap and we can do what we want, but then we also say sex is powerful and it can be seriously damaging. And that's what I believe is when we take it out of the context of self-giving, we start to distort it. I don't know if anyone saw that recent article about this exposure of sex, sex slavery happening in the Gold Coast. It's just confronted again by the, the abuse and, and the, the destruction of, of, of sin when it's taken out of its context. And I know sex slavery is happening all over the world, but it, um, we need to see that, that, that unholy passions is distorting God's good intentions. But we have a different script. We have a different identity. We have a different calling as those who follow Jesus. And so Paul says, how can we live it any longer? That's not us anymore. How can we live it any longer? And so we need to ask each other, ask ourselves tonight, how are we going with these unholy passions and desires? Paul says, put it off. Actually, he says, put it to death. Serious. I think this is one of the greatest addictions gripping the church and, and something we need to be serious about because God's vision is so good and we can't just cheapen it. And we'll never overcome sin if we don't realise how serious it is and how incompatible it is with who we are. And so how's, we need to think about what we're watching on TV We need to think about how we're scrolling through social media and if, are we just lusting after people and, and letting our hearts just covered after others. It's not who we are. Maybe it is an addiction to porn and we just think, I can't get over this. And it's shaping the way we think in our brains. Maybe it's a relationship that we're compromising. You know, We haven't made those promises to that person. We're not in that covenantal union with them. And we've said to God, you know, I think my way is better than yours. I'm going to do it my way. I know these things are hard, but we've got to trust God that his way is better. Paul says, how can we live in this sin anymore? It's not who we are. It's a call to put this part of us to death. He says, we've been set free. Why would we go back there? And so my encouragement to you is we've got to do this together. We've got to seek help together. This community has got to be one of grace and love. Remember, we're not under condemnation because of our sin. But we're called to live this new life as we pursue holiness. But let's keep reading from verse 8 of Colossians 3. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Now, this is the second of the two main categories of sin that I think I see that Paul confronts, and that's destructive speech. You see, words have power. We know this, they can incite violence, they can tear down people's confidence. I hate meeting people who have such amazing character and capacity and giftedness 
and yet they have zero confidence because a, a parent or someone just said, just spoke, said you're worthless. Can rip apart relationships. Destructive speech. I think this is the less overt sin. You know, we talk about sexual sin and it's how damaging it is. And, you know, we have uh, a pure love conference. We don't always have a pure speech conference. And yet Paul calls us to put it away. It's not who we are anymore. You've put off the old self. Can you see the insanity of our sin? It doesn't make sense. It's not compatible with who we are. We're forgiven. Yes, absolutely. But we must get rid of this destructive speech from our lives. Because we're united to Christ. We're found in Him. And so we need to be challenged by what we're posting online. Challenged by the messages that we send to others and talk about others behind their back. The slander and the gossip that's so common in churches. Or anger and, and a short temper. I was really convicted by this. I've, been, uh, I've got a two-year-old son and I've just noticed that my, uh, my fuse is much shorter when I'm tired. and um, I've just noticed this anger come out and it's not of God. It's actually because I'm being selfish and I just want Ned to be quiet and I want half an hour more of sleep. And... But I wonder as well as this talks about unforgiveness... Sometimes we can resurface sins of other people as ammunition against them. Instead of forgiving them, we bring up this sin again and hold it against them. We, want to, we won't let it go so we can feel good about ourselves or, or just bring down that other person. That is not who we are anymore. And so uh, finally, just look down at verse 10. Paul says this. He says, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We have a new life. We have this new resurrected life. And Paul shows us what it looks like to walk in the newness of life. Sin, it just doesn't make sense. It's insane that we want to go back there. And so the calling of a Christian, he says our sins are forgiven. Our condemnation is gone. The wrath of God has been paid for on our our behalf. But does it matter how we live? Yes. Yes, it does. He's calling us to walk in this newness of life. And so I just want to finish by reading from verse 12. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see, this is the newness of life that we've been set free to walk in. 
You see, sin doesn't make sense anymore because the penalty has been paid for. Our old self is dead. How can we go back to that? And sin doesn't make sense anymore because we've been brought into a better way of life, a better way of living, a new self. And so we need to be dressing up ourselves in Christ every day. And so, brother, sister, can you be free of your sin? Can you be holy? Yes, I think we can. We can see that victory. And it will come as we step into a fuller awareness. This is the key. If you take anything away from the last few weeks of what we've been trying to say, it comes from a fuller awareness of our identity in Christ. Can you overcome your sin? Look to Christ and who He says you are. And remember, as we look at our sin, we realize it's destruction. As the Holy Spirit convicts us, we say, that is not who I am. And He will, by His Spirit, I believe, bring out that fruit of His Spirit in your life. And that's what I'm praying for each of us. That we would grow every day more and more in holiness, united to Jesus, found in Him. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much again for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I just pray, um, just want to confess that there's much of our lives that we're still continuing to live in sin, even though the sin has been paid for, we, we're living in it. And Lord, we're sorry. Father, we know how much you must be grieved by the destruction and the distortion of your, your goodness and your word. And we take it out of context, Lord. Even within the church, those who claim to be Christians, still, Lord, we are so full of bitterness and so full of self-righteousness and selflessness. And Lord, I know I'm guilty of having uh, two faces, one at home where I where I sin and, and, and a face that I present at church where I pretend to be all righteous. Lord, I'm sorry. Just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to work in each of us, that we would grow more and more into this newness of life that you've given to us. And I believe, Lord, that we can overcome sin, that there is freedom, that you are good, Thank you that your mercy is new every day and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But Lord, we want to live the life. We want to put on the new self. So Lord, clothe us now with your Holy Spirit. Just pray that you put your finger on something in our life that is not of you, that you want to do a work in, in each of us, Lord, that you just bring that to mind and that give us new resolve today to put it to death. Trusting in what you've done in us, that the old self is dead, that has no power anymore, and that we can walk in the joy and the freeness and the life of following you in obedience. And Lord, please help each of us now. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand and respond and, and declare that death was arrested and my life began. Again, that death has been paid. Let's stand up and let's, let's worship. I just want to mention that at the end of the service, we're going to be at the front. If you want to pray about any of this, if you want to pray through maybe a sin that you're struggling with, I'd love to walk that with you. And myself or Francis will be up here or, or Tony or any of these guys. We'd love to encourage you. We want to love you and pray for you. But also, I love 
the model that Josh gave us, that we can also pray with each other. It's not just ministry that happens from the front, but that we might minister to one another and grow together. So let's continue to worship our God as we sing.